That's chat is brought to you by Walters. While the national season may be winding down, fall sports are just around the corner. Are you looking for a place to host your fantasy football draft with over 30 TVs, free Wi-Fi, and buckets of wings and beers? There's no better place to host your draft party than Walters. With plenty of room indoors or outside on the covered patio, contact Brett at waltersdc.com to reserve your space today. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Base is loaded. The pitch. Sidearm breaking ball. Ground ball right side. Alonzo has it. He looks at home, but instead takes the out at first. So it's an RBI for Soto scoring the pitcher Espino. And the Nationals lead 1-0. And now the wide of the pitch. Fastball swung on and popped up. Playable left side, shallow left, shortstop. Alcides Escobar is called, and he makes the catch for a 1-2-3 inning for Paolo Espino. And at the end of five innings at City Field, our score, the Nationals 2 and the Mets 1. Lindor leading for first, held by Bell, Finnegan sets. He holds, he kicks the pitch. Swing and a ground ball, chopped to the middle. Garcia has it. He steps on second. He throws the first, and a curly W's in the books. Kyle Finnegan induces the chopper up the middle off the bat of Javi Baez. Garcia makes that play as well, and the throw to first on the money to Bell. And the Nationals storm out of the dugout. They take game one of the series in the Big Apple as they hand the Mets their fourth loss in a row and 12th in the last 14 games. And welcome to Nats Chat for Saturday, August 28, 2021, along with Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, we're all taught when we're younger, you shouldn't need it to be that other people feel bad so that you should feel good. The heck with that. If you're a Nationals fan this season, you will take anything that makes you feel better about yourself. And the collapse of the New York Mets has got to make you feel at least a little better if you're a Nats fan. And the Nats pile on with a 2-1 victory at the Mets on Friday night. The Metropolitans now have lost 12 of their last 14 games. But more seriously and more significantly, this was a fun game. This was, in many ways, a well-played game, at least from a pitching and defensive standpoint. And this was a clutch game. The closer, Kyle Finnegan, and the young second baseman, Luis Garcia, coming up big in the bottom of the ninth inning. Mark, we have not had many feel-good nights. Dare I say Friday night was a feel-good night in multiple ways, if you're a Nats fan. I agree. I, I thought this was a good, fun game. I thought it was an important game. Not, you know, they may win some games the rest of the way. You say, oh, that was kind of fun. Something exciting happened. But I thought this was actually important because, again, of the who did it, how they did it, 
to see these young, inexperienced relievers, four of them, come through. I mean, I don't know about you, but in the sixth inning, it's two to one. I'm thinking there's no way the final score of this game is going to be two to one. That could have been the Nats scoring off the Mets bullpen as well. But I didn't think there's any chance that was it for scoring in this game. And somehow it was. And yeah, the Mets have something to do with that. But I'm going to give a lot of credit here to Andres Machado, Sam Clay, Kyle McGowan, and Kyle Finnegan. I thought that was big time from all of them and add Luis Garcia in for his play in the uh, bottom of the ninth. And that's a, I don't know what the word is, not a character builder, but it's an experience builder for these guys. And I do think ultimately the more of those kind of games you have, and when you have some, uh, some success in them, that pays off in the end, whether that's later this year, next year, two years from now, who knows? But I think that's actually an important win for them. Yeah, you know, these games, you are building up a stash of experiences and you're building up things from which you can draw in future seasons. You know, so if you're Kyle Finnegan, the next time you're on the road in a tight spot facing the heart of the lineup, you can reflect back upon what happened on Friday night, August 27, 2021 and say, hey, I can do this. I've done this before. I think that stuff does matter. And sure enough, Kyle Finnegan delivered. It's not often we begin our uh, breakdown discussing the Nationals' bullpen, but I feel like we almost should. We'll get to our guy, the starting pitcher in this game, momentarily. But Kyle Finnegan comes into the game, bottom of the ninth. Nats nursing a 2-1 lead, set to face the Mets' numbers two through four batters. He does issue a leadoff five-pitch walk of Pete Alonso, although Kyle told FP and Bob after the game on Masson that that was almost like a non-intentional, intentional walk of Alonso. And then Finnegan ultimately ends up recording a scoreless bottom of the ninth inning. And thanks to two really nice defensive plays by Luis Garcia, the first of which is, I think, in some ways, one of the defensive highlights of the Nats season. Certainly was a unique play. Garcia on a Francisco Lindor grounder with Alonzo on first makes a diving backhanded catch, then literally rolls the baseball via like a shovel toss to Alcides Escobar for the force out at second base. And the 1-1 pitch, swing the ground ball, sprawling, Garcia has it. He dribbles the ball to second to Escobar for the force on Alonso, and the out at second base, what a way. You don't see something go down exactly like that often, that's for sure, but you end up getting the out. If uh, this week in baseball was still a show with Mel Allen, that highlight would be on that show, I can promise you, on Saturday afternoon on NBC. And then Luis Garcia initiated the game-ending 4-3 double play. So really good stuff from him in that bottom of the ninth. And Finnegan gets the job done in that inning. How about that? <laughs> yeah. That would be Mel Allen with the call on that play. That was fantastic. And I I agree. I don't know if I've ever quite seen a second baseman make a play like that. I thought it was funny. Both Davey Martinez and Kyle Finnegan referred to it as bowling a strike as the what he was attempting to do there. You call it a bounce pass. I thought he was bowling for a strike. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't tell if he was going to get there. Made a great play and then uh, had enough time to to bowl a strike to second base, get the out. Sounds awesome. Hey, whatever works, good for him. And then nice job in the double play. And here's the thing about the leadoff walk. Like you said, he was a little bit intentional behind it. Keep in mind that only two weeks ago, Finnegan is facing Alonzo at City Field in a tie game in the bottom of the seventh, because it was a doubleheader game, and gives up the walk off Homer. So that's still fresh in his mind. We talk about all these experiences that they're getting and the difference it makes later on down the road. Well, that was in his mind. And he knew this is not the guy I'm going to let beat me. So maybe he's not trying to walk him, but he's certainly not going to give in to him, not going to give him anything really good to hit. And then once he gets on base, now the strategy is get a ground ball. Finnegan is a good ground ball pitcher when he's on. And basically it worked out exactly what he was trying to do. He got Lindor to hit the grounder. He got Baez to hit the grounder. 
and it worked out and he gets the save and they get the win. So I think a, a good case there of an inexperienced closer, not just winning because of the stuff and the quality of the pitches, but because of the thought process of having a plan and then executing it. That's so important in those big innings. It's not, we've seen far too many guys with great stuff not be able to close out games. It takes smarts as well and knowing what you're trying to do. And he did a great job of that in this game. Yeah, Kyle Finnegan now is six for eight on saves this season. His ERA is 277. The whip is 142. We've talked about this. He is certainly not a dominant closer. And, you know, with just relievers in general, I don't even know if it matters what they do in a previous season anymore. These guys are so year to year. So like, Kyle maybe does well this year and then next year isn't good. Or maybe Kyle ends up being so-so this year and then next year is great. Like, you just don't know. You can call it like the Tanner Rainey principle because Tanner Rainey last year, young guy, looks awesome. And then this year, it's been a nightmare. It's just like, you just, you have no idea with these guys. But that said, you do want to see Kyle Finnegan pitch well. In theory, he is a legitimate bullpen piece for the Nats this season. And I think overall, he's doing a good job. And like you said, the rest of the Nats bullpen came through in this game as well. We're seeing this here. It's certainly not every game. And there are games in which the Nats bullpen is a disaster. All right. We've seen plenty of those. But there have also been a decent number of games here recently in which the Nats pen collectively has overall done a nice job. And this was another one of those games. Andres Machado, Sam Clay, Kyle McGowan, and Kyle Finnegan combined for four scoreless innings, four strikeouts, just one hit and one walk. It's interesting to me with Clay because he just came back up from the minors. And he's actually looked pretty good here since he came back. You know, I don't know if it means he's been fixed or if he's just on a nice little run, but a perfect bottom of the seventh with strikeouts of Michael Conforto and J.D. Davis for the last two outs there on Friday night. That was one of the bigger spots he's been in in a while. Now, you remember there was a point there where he was the guy somehow would pitch like an extra innings of a tie game or the top of the ninth or bottom of the ninth of a tie game when they're on the road and would end up taking the loss. So this doesn't quite qualifies that, but against a tough part of their lineup, Baez, Conforto, and Davis, and delivered with a couple strikeouts. He was throwing his change up with something they wanted him to do, and, and he's throwing strikes and getting ahead in the count, which again is something they want him to do. 14 pitches, 10 strikes. How often this year have we seen Sam Clay do that? Not nearly enough. So maybe that little trip down to Rochester was good for him. They wanted to get him back and now let him try to put into play what he had been practicing. And on this night, that was a good thing for him. And Machado continues to be a guy that looks like Davey really trusts him. He is using him in a lot of spots. He's really using him just a lot in general. And you hope that his arm holds up. So far, it has. So that was good. And then how about McGowan in the eighth inning? He threw at one point, I believe, 11 consecutive sliders. It was seven in a row to Dominic Smith to get him. And then four more to start off Jonathan VR. And then he completely stunned him with a fastball they looked at for strike three. I mean, that's McGowan's pitch as the slider. He lulled him into a false sense of security and then broke out a fastball to strike him out. I thought that was good stuff from a guy who we don't usually think of in like high leverage, eighth inning, one run game kind of situation. Yeah, Patrick Corbin was jealous of uh, Kyle McGowan and what he did there (laughs) on Friday night. So Nats pitchers for the game over the nine innings, total 11 strikeouts. Incidentally, Nats win this game despite striking out themselves 17 times. That doesn't happen often, but the pitching was good, and the pitching started with our guy, Paolo Espino. So the peak of Paolo Espino on the 2021 Nationals came in an 8-4 win over the Mets at Nationals Park on June 28th in a makeup game. That was the peak of Paolo. Five scoreless innings in a spot start. He exited that game with an ERA of 2-0-2 
on the season over 18 games, including three starts. Now, Paolo, since that game, had not done so well. You know, in that game, end of June, basically coincided with the start of the Nats fall, right, which was beginning at the start of July. But Paolo, on this Friday night, was back to peak Paolo and against the Mets. So the Mets are the team against whom Paolo Espino does his best work. He was terrific in this game. He was back to being the guy we saw in May and June of this year. One run in five innings, seven strikeouts versus no walks. He gave up just three hits. Now, two of them were extra base hits, a solo homer and a triple to go with a single. But he pounded the zone. This is what Paolo does when he's peaking. 49 strikes versus 19 balls on 68 pitches. That's some ratio. 49 strikes versus 19 balls. And he had a hit, a leadoff single in the Nats' two-run third inning. Hill delivers it, and it's lined over the leaping shortstop Lindor, a base hit into left field. So Paolo Espino has his second hit as a national, and his third as a big leaguer. He's got a big smile on his face as he rounds first and holds. Things have been a little weird for Paolo over the last month and a half. You could argue, hey, he's come back down to earth. You could argue there's more of a book on him. But this was the Paolo Espino we saw earlier this season, and he was really good on Friday night. Yeah, and it's nice to see that he can still do this, even if it's against a Mets lineup that right now is really, really struggling. But that's okay. You still have to get the job done. The seven strikeouts, a career high for him. His slider was really on point. I mean, go back. How many strikeouts did he have in that June game that he won? I don't think he had that many. His season high, his career high was uh, six. And in that previous start, I'm looking it up right now, it was three. So he got this one done with swings and misses. And that was nice to see him be able to do that. You know, the solo homer, yeah. What I found a little bit comical about that is it's Baez. And first inning, he strikes out Baez on three straight sliders with Lindor on third base right after the triple. And that was, again, knowing the hitter, being smart about the situation. We know Javi Baez is the biggest free swinger in baseball. If you throw him anything in the strike zone, you're making a mistake. So what's he do the next time up? He tries to sneak a fastball past him on the first pitch and buy his homers on it. And I think if he could have that one back, Paolo would take it back and just keep feeding him a steady diet of breaking balls or at least fastballs out of the zone. But hey, if that's your one mistake on the night, good for you. You did your job. And I thought Davey might push him. I thought he might let him go another inning. But you don't want him to have to face a lineup a third time. We've seen like what he is, who he is. It's okay to just give you five. And I think deep down, Davey wanted to see some of these relievers in that situation. So this is not just about winning games. It's about evaluation. And it worked out perfectly tonight. Yeah, FP made a big deal of that on the Mass and Telecast of, hey, should Davey have left Paolo in the game? You know, here's the thing. Paolo Espino is in his age 34 season. This is not really a guy you're developing. Like, I understand that he's under team control for seasons to come. And that is one of the things that makes him interesting. Like, this is a guy who the Nats, in theory, could have for another three, four, five years. I don't know if they're wanting to do that, but they could. It's not like he's, you know, eligible for free agency at the end of the season. But this isn't Josiah Gray. This isn't someone you're trying to develop here. This is more like it's Paolo Espino. This is a guy who was drafted all the way back In 2006, he was a 10th round pick of the Cleveland Indians in the 2006 MLB draft. And so whatever you get from him is good. Like this is a house money situation. And to his credit, he overall has done well this season, especially given, you know, what I think expectations were for him coming into this year. You mentioned that uh, bottom of the first inning. So yeah, he gives up that two out triple to Lindor, but strikes out Javier Baez. And by the way, before the Lindor triple was the strikeout of Pete Alonso. You get a perfect bottom of the second during which Paolo strikes out J.D. Davis for the second out. 
Even in the one-run fourth, yeah, you give up the homer to Baez, but then you get back-to-back strikeouts of Michael Conforto and J.D. Davis. What do you think Mike Rizzo thinks about Paolo moving forward? It's so interesting. Like I said, age 34 season, he's not even arbitration eligible until after the 2023 season. He's not eligible for free agency until after the 2026 season. I mean, that's nuts when you think about that. He's going to be hitting free agency around the age of 40, which is just crazy. Do you think they view him, though, as a potential piece for next season? I was just going to say he could turn 40 and still be under team control. How often does that happen? Um, Yeah, I think he is. We've talked about this before. I think every team needs a Palo Espino. Every pitching staff needs one of them. And ideally, you have five good starters and you can put him in your bullpen and he is the long man, the swing man, the emergency starter, the whatever you need him to be a jack of all trades, which he was very good at early in the season before necessity forced him into the rotation. But there are so many unknowns with the rotation next year. You don't know what Strasburg is going to be. You don't know what Corbin is going to be. You don't know if Joe Ross is going to be healthy. You don't know if and when Cade Cavalli is coming up and how he's going to do. So with all that said, here's a perfect opportunity to have a fallback plan and have him for you know quite cheap to keep him on close to a major league minimum and have him be your last guy in the bullpen, but always be available in case you do need a starter in case anything happens. So yeah, I think based on what we've seen from him, he loves it here. They've embraced him. I absolutely think there's every reason to, to believe that he'll be back next year. Now, is it going to be for, for six years? Probably not. I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that eventually Father Time's going to catch up to Paolo. But as long as he can do this, absolutely, I think it is important for every pitching staff to have a Paolo Espino. Yeah, like people need to understand Juan Soto will be a free agent before <laughs> Paolo Espino will be a free agent. And also, how about the rarity that is this? The Nats have Paolo Espino, age 34 season, Yadiel Hernandez, age 33 season. Neither guy is set to be a free agent until after the 2026 season. So going into the 2027 season, is there another team in baseball that has two guys like that well into their 30s, but under team control for all of these years to come? That's just nuts. I can't say I can think of anyone who's in that boat. And I mean, typically you probably don't want to be in that situation. You don't want to have a lot of players who are 33, 34 year old rookies. But hey, in this case, both guys have been very valuable to them. And I agree. I think Yadiel too has a place on this team moving forward. Maybe not as an everyday left fielder, but certainly as a backup and a bench player and maybe a DH next year, depending how that plays out. (laughs) How about that? Are you a law firm partner looking for a better situation for your practice and a blockbuster contract worthy of Juan Soto? If so, you should call Mason Kalfas of Zenith Legal in Washington, D.C. Works with law firms and lawyers on finding the perfect match. No platoons, just superstars. Some lawyers switch firms because of conflict. Some lawyers switch firms for a better platform for their practice. And some lawyers switch firms for more money. You need the Scott Boris of legal headhunters working for you, and that's Mason. Mason will work with you to find a better fit for your practice and ultimately the best deal for you and your entire team. Call him today at 202-486-3535 or check out his website, zenithlegal.com. This is an unprecedented time in the legal market, and many top firms are looking to expand. Call Mason today. Zenith Legal also works with associates and distinguishes itself 
on personal service. Zenith Legal doesn't just spam resumes out to law firms. Zenith Legal talks to the right people and gets your resume in front of the decision makers who matter. Whether you are a rainmaker partner or a mid-level associate, give Mason Kalfas at Zenith Legal a call today to accelerate your career. Call today, 202-486-3535. Hey, Nats fans, this is Eric Bramer, play-by-play broadcaster for the Fredericksburg Nationals. Time is running out to see the Fred Nats in their inaugural 2021 season at beautiful new Fred Nats Ballpark. With promotions every night of the week and a talented roster that includes Jackson Rutledge, Jeremy De La Rosa, Brandon Bossier, Yordi Barley, and many more, the time's never been better to see tomorrow's Washington National stars today. Visit FredNats.com for ticket information and follow us on social media at FXBGNats for the latest updates. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The 2-2. Swing a line drive to left. That's going to fall for a base hit. Headed home is Robles. Escobar will stop at third. The throw all the way into the plate. Bell will hold it first with an RBI single. And the Nationals lead 2-0. So Bell matches Soto with his 70th RBI. And the Nationals keep the line moving here in the third. So offensively for the Nationals on Friday night, this was not a good night. And it's kind of funny with the Nats in the state that they're in, they actually have been hitting pretty well. Like they've put up some runs. Every game, it seems like we've had at least a few guys to get into in terms of, well, this guy did this offensively, that guy did that offensively. There really isn't that much to get into here offensively with the Nats on Friday night. Win the game despite totaling just six hits and two walks. The only Nat who had a multi-hit night was Alcides Escobar. Like I said, the Nats struck out 17 times in the game. And it's funny. I mean, this wasn't like Jacob deGrom pitching for the Mets. You know, not that he's pitching often lately. Rich Hill was on the mound. The ageless wonder, Rich Hill, the guy who was briefly a national at one point many years ago and uh, never actually pitched in a uh, regular season game for the Nats, right? No. Rich Hill, he's still out there. And, uh, you know, it was just, it was not a great game for the Nats, but they were able to sort of figure some things out and get the two runs and win the game. And, you know, obviously you're going to have games like that over the course of a season. But I guess that's what struck me more than anything, Mark, is that the Nats haven't had that many of these games here lately. Offensively, they've actually been okay over these last few weeks since the sell-off. They've actually scored more runs a game, I think, in August than they did prior to that, which is, I'm not sure what to make of that entirely. Rich Hill, 41 years old, still going strong somehow. And I got to admit, you know, I've seen him a lot over, I don't know, the last four or five years. Remember, he was with the Dodgers there for a while. Yeah. Started some playoff games against the Nationals. The Nats faced him earlier this year when he was with Tampa Bay. Now they faced him a couple times with the Mets. And every time I watch him, I think to myself, 
they should be scoring a bunch of runs off him. And sometimes they have, but boy, I thought there was opportunity to really take him out early in this game. They load the bases with nobody out in the third, and you got Juan Soto at the plate. Couldn't ask for anything better than that. And then what does Soto do? Ground ball in the first pitch, gets the run home, but that's an out. Josh Bell, nice single to drive in the run. And then the kids, Keeboom and Thomas, both strike out. And it felt to me in that moment like, ooh, that could be the game right there. Like they missed their opportunity to go up big early and that could come back to haunt them. It didn't, thankfully. But look, all power to Rich Hill. He's still doing this at age 41. But I watch him like, how is he having any success? How did he strike out eight with that arsenal with, I mean, he never goes more than five innings. I felt like they should have done a lot more damage against him in this game. Yeah, it was not a good game for a lot of the quote-unquote kids. Victor Robles 0 for 3 with three strikeouts. Carter Keeboom 0 for 4 with two strikeouts. Lane Thomas 0 for 4 with two strikeouts. But you heard both of those names, Robles and Thomas, as Davey Martinez did finally do it, have both guys in the starting lineup. Victor Robles was a starting center fielder. Lane Thomas was the starting left fielder. You know, we've talked about this. Why aren't we seeing this? Well, we did see it on Friday night. And It'll be interesting to see how Davies sort of navigates this of, hey, Yadiel Hernandez has been doing pretty well, and he's obviously a weapon off the bench when he doesn't start. But uh, giving an outfield of Robles and Thomas a look, I like that from Davey on Friday. I think against lefties, you'll definitely see this where Yadiel, even though Yadiel's done well against lefties, you can make the case here for Thomas and Robles. I think the more interesting question is going to be when they face a righty again. I assume that Yadiel is going to be in the lineup just because they need production from someone. He has done that in the fifth spot. And now, is it back to Robles as the everyday center fielder, or might we see Lane Thomas start ahead of him sometimes? We've kind of gotten some hints there from Davey that we may see that, and I would not be surprised if we see more of it, although not a great night at the plate for Lane, and maybe the bloom is coming off the rose just a little bit here. Not that we expected him to keep up what he was doing, because it was insane. Yeah, well, even Mike Trout has some rough games, so it's been, you know, not a great last few games for Lane Thomas, but we'll see. If nothing else, we will always have that brief stretch of Lane Thomas playing out of his mind. Well, you can always email us at the Nats Chat Podcast, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. We got this email from Brooks Barwick. I thought this was interesting. We could have some fun with this. So he says, lately, I've been trying to find positives in what's been a particularly difficult season for the Nationals. And I keep finding myself drawing comparisons between the post-trade deadline 2021 Nats and the 2009 team. And he makes the following comps. All right, see what you think of these. Jordan Zimmerman, Josiah Gray, Adam Dunn, Josh Bell, Ian Desmond, Carter Keeboom, Ryan Zimmerman of 2009, Juan Soto of 2021, Nick Johnson, Ryan Zimmerman of today. Now he goes deep. Stephen Shell is Kyle Finnegan. <laughs> I hope, I sure hope Finnegan turns into something better than Stephen Shell was. Yeah. Roger Bernadina is Gerardo Parra. <laughs> And Scott Olson is Patrick Corbin. He also says Levon Hernandez is Paolo Espino. And I thought this was pretty creative. Now, are these perfect comps? <laughs> no. But I think some of these play. Some play better than others. So I applaud my man Brooks for giving that to us. I thought that was a pretty smart email. I love it. And I'm going to be honest, I've had similar thoughts. I've heard from some other people who follow the team closely who have made very similar comparisons as well, including some of those head-to-head ones like Patrick Corbin and Scott Olson. They're actually quite similar. Another one that I heard was Craig Stammen is Eric Fetty. 
Stamina was a starter back then, had like a five ERA, wound up becoming a reliever. He's still pitching for the Padres, had a very nice career. Maybe that's where Fetty's future could be. I think there are a lot of reasons to think of where we are now, maybe not when the season started, but where we are now in 2021 as comparable to where the Nats were in 2009. That was Zim's team. This is Soto's team. I absolutely see a Josiah Gray, Jordan Zimmerman comparison. I think we've discussed that, just the poise, composure, even right down to the fact that he came from a Division II college, just as Jordan did and uh, Josiah did. So there's some stuff there. Here's, though, what I think the current team is missing. In general, I believe that the 2021 Nationals are better positioned to win sooner than the 2009 Nationals were. Maybe some of the guys on the team that year are similar, but they really didn't have the up-and-comers coming yet. Strasburg had just been drafted, would be up the next year, and there weren't a lot of others that were coming up. But here's what that team had that this team does not, and I think it is important for them to find a guy like this for next season. That team had John Lannon. And you can laugh and say, John Lannon, he wasn't anything special. Well, you know what he was that year? He had a 388 ERA in 33 starts. He pitched 206 innings for them. Who do the Nats have that can do that? Give you, I mean, they don't have anybody who's going to go 200 innings, but just even who do they have that can give you 160 innings and a sub four ERA? And maybe the ceiling isn't that high and he's never going to be a, a frontline starter for you, but he's also good enough to help bridge the gap until you have enough good young pitchers coming up, take away innings from some, you know, so you don't have to burn up others with it. I think this team, this winner needs to go out and find themselves a John Lannon, sign a free agent who can provide that for you. Just quality innings, nothing special, nothing fancy, but you know what you're going to get from him. This team has been missing that. Yeah, I've actually had that thought when it comes to the Orioles with John Means. John Means actually reminds me of John Lannon in a lot of ways. Of course, the difference too between 2009 Nationals, 2021 Nationals. I, this 2021 team isn't buried like the 2009 team of years of losing, and you have no idea when the winning is going to start. Like with this team, there is a feeling of this may not last for very long, the team being down. Now, maybe it does. We don't know. But, you know, you have this transcendent player in Juan Soto. You have these promising prospects now in the farm system, you know, at, at least with the farm system now having a bunch of high-end prospects. You know, there's not the depth in the farm system that you want. But, I mean, it is different. But, yeah, it is funny how history repeats itself in that way, and and you've got some interesting parallels going on. Nats Chat is sponsored by Silver Branch Brewing Company, located in downtown Silver Spring, only a one-minute walk from the Silver Spring Metro Station. Silver Branch is a perfect jumping-off point to Metro down to the game. Park at the Cameron Street parking lot and meet up with friends for a beer and a bite to eat before Metroing down. You can also get Silver Branch beer at Nationals Park. Beyond the Gnome World, one of Silver Branch's four flagship beers is available at District Drafts at Section 223. Brewed to be light and refreshing, Beyond the Gnome World won a gold medal for the Saison beer style at the Great American Beer Festival last year. Beyond the Gnome World is deliciously dry and thirst-quenching and the perfect beer for hot summertime ball games. You may not be familiar with Saison, but take our word for it, baseball season is the perfect season for Saison, and buying from District Drafts to support your local breweries is a gnome run. Go to Section 223 and try Beyond the Gnome World the next time that you're at Nats Park, and make sure you stop by Silver Branch, located in Metro Plaza, just steps from the Silver Spring Metro. Silver Branch Brewing Company, when you come in, let them know that the Nats Chat Podcast sent you. 
Hey, NatChat listeners, Tim Shovers, producer of this podcast here. If you can indulge us for just one second, the five-star ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts and other platforms, oddly enough, through the back-end business of podcasting are really important. So if you could do us a favor, just go on, give us a review, give us a rating. Hopefully it's uh, at the high end of the spectrum. would be really appreciated. And thanks for all the support throughout the season when it comes to listening and interacting with us and downloading and reviewing. All of that is extremely appreciated as I speak on behalf of Mark and Al. Now back to the show here on Nats Chat Podcast. <music> Well, there was some notable Nationals news during the day on Friday. The Nationals confirming reporting that the team has made getting vaccinated for COVID-19 mandatory for all full-time staff. Employees were notified of the policy on August 12th, had had until this past Thursday to provide proof of full vaccination, proof of first shot, or apply for an exemption. And this is notable because the Nats are, I guess, believed to be one of the first teams in Major League Baseball to do this, to make it mandatory for full-time staff members to get vaccinated for COVID-19. Now, you are not mandating players get vaccinated for COVID-19. You can't do that. Uh, That's got to be negotiated between MLB and the MLBPA. We do know that the Nats months ago crossed into that that 85% COVID-19 vaccination rate threshold, by which if your Tier 1 personnel meets that requirement, you can relax a bunch of the protocols. I guess it's interesting to me. I had not considered whether non-players were mandated to get vaccinated because the NFL did this months ago, actually. The NFL effectively mandated COVID-19 vaccination for all NFL support staff back in April. And it wasn't, you have to get vaccinated. It was basically, if you're part of support staff and you don't get vaccinated, you are extremely restricted. And the NFL is kind of trying to do this now with players where they've made it very difficult if you are a non-vaccinated player to function this coming season. The protocols are very stringent. But I guess MLB had not done that. It kind of left it up to the teams. And the Nats end up being one of the first teams here to make it mandatory for staff to get vaccinated. Yeah, so it's the Nats and the Astros are the first two. Surprisingly, they share the spring training complex. That nothing to do with it. They did this independent of each other. Now, keep in mind, really the majority of people this affects are the people who just work for the team. And that can be in sales and marketing and ticketing. And even if there are full-time employees who work at the stadium. Now, not everyone is. Some of them are part-time and they cannot be mandated to be required to do it. But if you are a full-time employee of the Washington Nationals, a lot of people who really have nothing to do with baseball are required now to be vaccinated. And look, they are a private business and they are allowed to do that if they want. Now, they're offering people the chance to say, I'm not vaccinated and here's a reason why, and you can grant me an exception for it. They'll review all those cases and determine whether it's valid or not. But there could be some people who are going to be out of a job at the end of all this if whatever reason they come up with is not deemed uh, an acceptable reason. Now, as far as the baseball people, the vast majority of them already have been vaccinated. Like we said, they crossed the 85% threshold a a while back. And my understanding is that, you know, really the vast majority of the staff, the the baseball staff already was anyways. But let's keep in mind that the Nats, you know, more than most teams have had more outbreaks and dealt with more disruptions this season than most teams. There was the opening day thing that cost, what, nine players. Then you have Fetty testing positive even after being vaccinated and Rainey having to go on the COVID IL as a close contact. And then you had Trey Turner and then three others plus 
almost all of Davey Martinez's staff coming down with it right before the trade deadline. And that was a huge disruptor for them from a coaching standpoint. So you can understand why as an organization, they're saying, you know what, enough is enough. We're going to take every possible step we can to make sure that everyone that we legally can require to be vaccinated is. And we got to remember, like, this thing isn't going away. As much as we all hoped that this would be a thing of the past by now, it's not. And my hunch is it's still going to be something we're talking about next year, unfortunately. That is the state of this, the state of the world, the state of the country. And different companies, different organizations are deciding on their own to do this, and it is within their rights to mandate that. You tell us what you think. You can always uh, email us, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. You can reach us on Twitter, too, at Nats underscore chat. The secret weapon was back in full effect on Friday night. It was wonderful to see this, and maybe just maybe there's more to come with our guy Paolo Espino. You never know. But in the meantime, get yourself a secret weapon t-shirt in addition to a Nats Chat podcast t-shirt. If you haven't gotten that already, you can find your Nats Chat pod and secret weapon t-shirts at natschatpodcast.com. Dot square dot site. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 1067 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat podcast. And we will leave you with a voice memo with another tale of October 2019. And this might be my favorite one yet. This is a really good one. Mark Masters of Gilbert, Arizona. We thank him and we thank you for listening to the Nats Chat podcast. Hey guys, this is Mark. Uh, love the podcast. Thanks for uh, putting so much work into putting it together after every game. Just really enjoying it a lot. I wanted to tell you my uh, memories of the uh, Nats World Series run in 2019. Uh, earlier in that year, my son, who was six at the time, started getting into baseball. And by the time the season ended and Nats had made the playoffs, he was a fanatic. He wanted to watch every game all the way through. And uh, I'd grown up on baseball too, so I was really excited about it as well. But of course, being a six-year-old, he had trouble staying awake through all the games as much as he wanted to see them. And once the Nets got into the playoffs, I started realizing that he kept falling asleep when they were behind, and they would often start their comeback pretty soon after he fell asleep. So I started getting a little superstitious about it, and on the night of Game 7, he fell asleep right before Rendon hit a homer, and then Howie hit his two-run homer to give them the lead that they'd never relinquish. And... uh it was very tempting to wake Max, my son Max up and tell him that Howie had hit the home run and we were ahead, but he looked so sound asleep and I was so superstitious that I let him sleep until the game was over and then I woke him up and told him they won and we were both really happy and I was glad that I hadn't woken him up before then. <laughs> uh, so I lived in D.C. for many decades and just this summer moved to Arizona and Max and I took a road trip to get out here and uh, we listened to the Nash Chat podcast in the car every day and it really helped us uh, fend off the homesickness from D.C. So we really appreciate all the work you guys have done. Thanks a lot, and keep up the good work. Frankie delivers. So we had a long drive to left. Way back. Forget about it. It is going, going, and long gone into the Crawford boxes. And the Nationals are on the board. Anthony Rendon has his second home run in the World Series. It's now the Astros 2 and the Nationals 1. As Anthony Rendon delivers a big hit here in the seventh inning.